here's the deal for you. I'll give you $150,000 for that pink VW Beach Bomb Matchbox car in your attic. All right. Hey, in today's podcast, I want to revisit some of the astounding things people are doing by focusing on a small niche. I mean, old typewriters, chandeliers, books, yeah, matchbox cars, art pieces. And there are more ideas that are just bringing in record numbers. You know, Bob Ross, the artist, completed over a thousand paintings over the 31 season run of The Joy of Painting. But there's one painting from the very first episode that has a stone path, a pond, some trees. That's about it. it but it's getting attention right now. It's on the market for $9.85 million. Now, its original owner was a PBS volunteer who bought it for about 50 bucks. Well, I want to walk through some listener questions, stimulate your thinking about your unique area of expertise. You know, I'll bet there's something right there under your nose that would open the floodgates to the life you've been dreaming of. Now, I'm pumped up and fired to go. You know, yesterday morning I was out walking and I had so many ideas, so many things that I want to share. I was so eager to get back to my house to record my podcast. Got back here. And I thought, wait a minute, this is not the day I record my podcast. That's not till tomorrow. So I'm pumped up, ready to go. So grab your cup of tea, get ready for another episode. We're going to be talking about practical advice, ways to clarify your dream and to take action, valuable stories, resources to help you maximize your opportunities. So let's jump in right after these messages from our supporting sponsors. Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, welcome in. Hey, if you're a new listener, welcome in. We've gotten a lot of new listeners uh, just in the last few weeks. I'm working with an agency, and that seems to be making a difference. So I'm hearing from people from other parts of the world that we haven't heard from in a while. So that's enjoyable. Thanks for being a new listener. If you're uh, new to the idea of 48 days, I mean, 48 days is just a timeline we use in which I think it's reasonable to assess where you are, to get the advice and opinion of other people, choose one of those ideas, take action, no matter what it is, if it's buying a house or a car, or where to go to school or a business to start or whether to get another job promotion, that's enough time to make those decisions. Don't get trapped in indecision or procrastination. All right. So here's a setup for today's episode. Um, Dan, it only took four months of unloading trucks for a large carrier. The guy's talking about his son before he decided there's got to be a better way. Now, that relates to last week's episode where I talked about should our children be entrepreneurs? Okay, another question. My corporate job ends in November, 46 days from today, but I'm okay. My dream goal is to have $700,000 in retirement funds before I reach the age of 71. We currently have about $20,000 in savings. And then somebody says, what if I feel done with trying to make friends and I just want to survive? All right. So that gives us a broad scope of things to discuss here. A quotation comes from Ralph Waldo Emerson, who said, successful people live well, laugh often, and love much. They've filled a niche 
and accomplished task so as to leave the world better than they found it, while looking for the best in others and giving the best they have. That's a pretty thorough um, recipe there for how to live well. So our resource for today is to take the entrepreneur quiz. So many of you are asking about that, especially after last week. Should our children be entrepreneurs? A lot of you as parents are wishing that you could be. Our recent survey confirms that as well. So go to 48days.com slash entrepreneur and you'll find there that quiz that you can take that'll help you identify if you really are a candidate to be an entrepreneur. Now, thank you so much for your responses to our listener survey. I mean, hundreds and hundreds of you were kind enough to complete that survey. Sheila has compiled the results into one long document, and I'm starting to digest it, go through it. There's lots of affirmation. That's I, I want to hear from you all to help shape what we're doing here. So there's lots of affirmation. Keep doing listener questions without any hesitation at all. That's what you want not having guests and experts on here like so many podcasts do. So that's great. I love answering listener questions. 48 minutes is preferred. I mean, I've varied a little bit. Some of the episodes being not quite that long, and people say they want 48 minutes, even though a lot of podcasts out there are 10 or 20 minutes. Now you're saying 48 minutes. If anything, you'd like it longer. So again, thanks for that, and I'll continue to be pretty much in that range. About a third of you are already full-time entrepreneurs. About two-thirds of you then are dreaming of running your own business. A large percentage of you have at least a college degree, an overwhelming majority, and the big, biggest group of you are making from a hundred to $250,000 a year already. That's pretty cool to know. In rating yourselves on a scale of one to 10 on are you living your dream life now, the highest ranking the biggest group was in the five to six. So yeah, kind of sort of room for improvement. So, but you want to hear about how to clarify your dream and how to train your mindset. That was a really big issue. So again, that gives me a lot of fodder. I love leaning into those two areas, how to clarify your dream, how to train your mindset. So there's much, much more in there. And I'll be sharing more in the weeks to come. And you've given me thousands of comments about what you're challenged with right now. So I'll be addressing some of those things, of course, in upcoming uh, episodes. I'll, I'll, next week, I'll share with you who the winners were. We said we were going to give away some copies of Understanding Heart, my newest book that I love dearly. And uh, those have already been sent out, but I'll share with you who the winners were of those uh, next week. Okay, so let's... Uh, pop on down here and get into some questions here. Now, this was a note from a dad after last week's episode on should my kids be entrepreneurs? Had, had a lot of response to that. And, and that episode saw big jumps in ratings in the Philippines, Kenya, Singapore. And I don't really know why. I mean, I'm not even sure what languages are spoken in those areas. Incidentally, speaking of languages, Spotify has just announced that they're going to be using AI. And of course, my you may be listening to this podcast on Spotify, certainly available there. They're going to be using AI to translate podcasts into other languages. So pretty soon I would expect that this podcast would be available in Spanish and German and any language that you may need to have it done. Now, I'm a little concerned about that because a lot of translation technology out there doesn't really get the cultural kind of slant 
I mean, if I have somebody, when I speak in front of a Spanish-speaking audience and have a translator, you know, I say, gee, it's a nice nice day today, isn't it? And then the person talks for three minutes, and I'm like, what the world are you talking about? And they say, well, you know, to really get the contextual meaning, it takes more than just the words that you said being translated directly. So anyway, it's one of those things technology is offering. We'll, uh, we'll see how well it does. So this is the note I got from a dad after last week's podcast. This comes from Mike. He says, after hearing your podcast on Entrepreneur Kids, I thought I'd share one of my own. My kid's in his early 20s, and it took him only four months of unloading trucks for a large carrier, making decent money before he decided there's got to be a better way. You know, last week I talked in that about maybe your kid needs to get a regular job, if for nothing else, to help them understand they don't want to do that. They don't want to have to be told when to show up and have a ceiling to what they can earn. Well, he's saying, you know, took his kid four months of unloading trucks before he decided there's got to be a better way. So he got into the vintage t-shirt business and has been supporting himself ever since. Now, I know what you're thinking. It's easy to do that when you're still living at home. But the matter of fact, in fact, the matter is he moved out on his own several years ago. He paid cash for his dream car as well as for an oversized work van for his business. He's traveled to Puerto Rico, Texas, Illinois, etc., all while living in a city with fairly high rent. Though I've been unable to make the leap, I have two kids who are successfully self-employed. Well, Mike, thanks thanks for that note. I love hearing those updates. Got a lot of notes from you all out there. Now, he's doing t-shirts. I want to talk to you a little bit about these niche ideas. There's a lot of things that people are doing that are pretty surprising when you kind of unpack them. Got a gentleman who I know who buys pottery. So he goes, like one of the things he does is on Tuesday mornings, he'll go to Goodwill because they put out big pallets, boxes full of things they just haven't sold or too much inventory. And you, you buy it by the pound. You don't even buy it by the piece. You just buy it by the pound. A lot of liquidation places are like that. You just buy the material by the pound. So he buys pottery and glass, but he knows what he's looking for. I mean, he often finds a special piece that may have cost him a dollar, and then he'll sell it for $80. Now, he says that he's saved eh, seven to 800 pieces. He, he kind of estimates that he has saved in his house over the years that really have value. And his brother asked him, you know, how much are they worth? And he said, well, you know, they're between four and $5,000 each. Now, if we take the median number, now this guy, you know, doesn't have a college degree or anything. He doesn't work a regular job. He just does this. You know, people would see him as kind of piddling. He show up at these antique fairs and stuff, and he'll have a little booth and people buy things or have his own yard sale or whatever. But he knows what he's looking for. So if we take the median number here, he says he has seven to 800 pieces. Let's say he has 750 and he says they're worth four to $5,000. If we take the low side of that and just say $4,000, 750, that's $3 million, $3 million in pieces that he has in his house. You talk about having a retirement fund. Now we've got, You'll hear some questions coming up here. You already heard me. Well, somebody who wants to have $700,000 in net worth saved up by the time he's 71. 
Well, what if you had 750 pieces that were worth $4,000 each because of your ability to spot those things that had value that other people were just getting rid of as trash? Yeah, there you go. You know, right here in the the community where we live, where Joanne and I live here in Florida, just recently they did a major remodeling of a couple of our dining areas here. And in one of the dining areas, it was really old school. It was, you know, dark wood and big, heavy, dark paintings on the wall, real masculine. Well, they redid that. They really lightened it up and everybody's thrilled. Well, one, there was a painting there and, and they made it very open. I mean, the dining chairs, you could just come and get them. They just gave away a lot of the things. But the, the artwork, they had prices on the artwork. And one of them was a really big painting. And it was like a bull coming right at you. But again, a very masculine kind of hunting cowboy scene. And they wanted $3,500 for that. Well, a guy here at the club bought it. He immediately put it up for sale in Sotheby's. And it sold for $16,500. That's a clean $13,000 profit. Now, Joanne's an artist, and I'm thinking, why didn't we recognize the value of that? I just saw it as an old, boring painting. But no, it was a painting that had a lot of value. Now, I mentioned in the opening here, you know, Bob Ross completed over 1,000 paintings over the 31-season run of The Joy of Painting, and one from the very first show, just a very simple painting that uh, somebody working there you know, volunteer got for 50 bucks or so is now in the market for $9.8 million. Ah, okay. Well, I've mentioned recently the rage in old matchbox cars. And the, the top one that I can find is the 1969 rear loading Volkswagen microbus beach bomb in pink. Those are bringing about $150,000. Now imagine that. The little matchbox car probably sold for 98 cents originally. Well, there are others. There's a oh, there's a Camaro that will bring $85,000. There's a Dodge Wreck truck that ends in six $8,000. I mean, some of those, you know, there's a lot of them. Now think about, again, the, the things that you, you probably threw them away or threw away what your kids had, matchbox cars, thinking, well, you know, they're grown up. They don't want them anymore. They were just toys. And they're done. Well, some of those things may have a lot of value. Um, I have a cousin who has farm equipment. Now, he has some of the old original tractors, you know, when they were done in metal that are still in the boxes and everything. Now, he just has them on display and has an amazing collection of those. He doesn't have any real idea what he's going to do with them. He'll probably die and leave them there, and his kids will have to sort through them. But there's probably a lot of value even there in what they're doing. Well, I've got some other things that I want to share with you here, but, you know, stick with me. Uh, I want to just go through some of the other ideas, these niche things that people are doing. You know, everybody's interested in, in real estate. What is there that not everybody else is doing that you might be able to lean into? So hey, if you've got a question, comment, resource you want to share, just go to 48days.com slash Dan. And I love getting those. Honored to get those in every week. Again, that's 48days.com slash askdan. If I use your question, I'll send you an autographed copy of 48 Days to the Work You Love. So here's a quick message from our sponsors, and then I'll be back with another story and some other examples about these niches where there are riches. All right, so everybody's looking you know, for real estate deals. Man, it's really common, and I love real estate. Real estate has served me extremely well, and I certainly value that. But 
there's a whole lot of people looking in the same direction. And one of the things about finding great opportunities is to do what not everybody else is doing. You know, one of the kind of adages in our household when our kids were growing up was, you know, if they came home and said, well, dad, you know, everybody else is doing it. That was a death knoll. That was a clear sign. Not going to happen in our house. We wanted to find things that not everybody else was doing. And if everybody else is doing it, probably not a good indication that there's an opportunity there. So what about vintage chandeliers? I mean, that's a real rage right now. Things that you may see as kind of a gaudy, even or old style. I mean, we we had uh, well, we had an interesting chandelier story. We actually swapped with some friends of ours having dinner at our house, and she commented on how beautiful the chandelier over our dining room table was. And Joanne said, "Well, I'd kind of like to get rid of that." And she said, "Oh, that's exactly what I'm looking for." Well, in a short conversation, two days later, um, we swapped chandeliers. So, but uh, what you think is old and out of style, maybe just what somebody else is looking for. And there are some of those that are going for, you know, eight, ten thousand dollars Vintage typewriters. Now, you know, we think, well, that's certainly old and antiquated. Who would want a typewriter? Well, because they are vintage. Even some of the normal common ones like Underwood and Remington, you know, if they go back a ways and are in pretty good condition, some of those are worth eight, nine hundred dollars. Um, well, some of them even more than that. Old cameras, again, think, well, we got our iPhones now, we don't need old cameras. Well, you don't need them, but again, that makes them desirable because they are vintage and no longer around. Some of those are bringing a whole lot of money. Old books, I mean, we know. Old books, because I'm really intrigued. I love old books. But uh, old books, there are rare books that bring a lot of money. Now, I, I have a very first edition copy of Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. I had joked with Joanne, just, I don't know that I ever mentioned it to anybody but her, but that uh, someday we'd be walking through a little used bookstore, you know, in Paducah, Kentucky, and I'd find an original copy, one of the first 5,000 in the first printing in 1937, of Think and Grow Rich. Well, I joked about that, but I, you know, certainly I would love to stumble on one, but didn't uh, have high hopes that that would happen. And then a few years ago, my mastermind presented me as a gift with an original copy. Now, it is pristine condition, has the dust jacket on it, has a little flyer just inside that says, if you want more copies of it, send in a dollar and 50 cents and they'd send it to you. So, you know, it goes way back there. Now, signed copies, signed copies that are in good condition in that original 5,000 are on the market for over $20,000. Mine is not signed, but comparable ones like mine are being listed for ten dollars to $12,000. And I've got it set in here on a shelf behind me as I speak. I joke that if I were a reasonable guy, I'd probably have it locked up in a bank vault somewhere because of its value, but that's not how I appreciate buying books, and I want to have it right here where I can touch it and see it every day to inspire me, but it certainly is worth worth a lot of money. I had a friend one time in, um, well, a friend, I mean, still a friend, but uh, this was years ago in California. He would buy old abandoned excavation equipment. Now, he'd buy it for, you know, junk, Scrap metal, essentially. Just a lot of it was just abandoned. 
on work sites out in the desert somewhere. Then he'd refurbish those machines, and often they'd sell for more than $100,000. I mean, the guy was worth millions of dollars. He was very analytical. He wasn't fun socially. He was very mathematical. I remember some of the odd things that he did. He, he bought a brand-new Mercedes. And I thought, man, that's kind of an extravagant thing for you, dude, to buy. He didn't respond in that way at all. He could care less that it was a fancy car. He had done the math, and he had calculated that was a car he could buy brand new, and 15 years later, it'd still be worth the same money that he paid for it. That's how he looked at it. But anyway, he was in, he'd buy this old abandoned excavation equipment and then refurbish those things. I mean, with, when people want an earth mover, they aren't concerned that it's a 2022 model or a 2023 model. If it does the job, bingo. And if they can save 50 grand on what they're buying, what they're looking at otherwise, that's what he did. That was the niche of hers. Specialize. What's your niche? What is it that you have right under your nose that you know about? You have some expertise in that would open the door to this kind of returns. It may make ordinary jobs or ordinary kind of businesses, you know, kind of pale in comparison, just finding a few of these deals out there. This last week, I had on as my Monday mentor guest in the Eagles community, Deanna Cooper. Now, she was uh, found herself a few years ago, divorced unexpectedly, four kids, she wanted to be free to attend to her kids, and then she wanted to be free to travel. And what she did was she just looked at, gee, what do I know about? Well, she was a nurse, and she had moved into case management, which is a real small niche in the nursing kind of over, overview, the nursing environment. And she needed to take an exam to update her certification in this one area of case management. And she looked around for something to help her prepare for that. You know, there's study guides for most things out there, and she couldn't find anything. Now, this goes into the old adage, you know, if you can't find a solution, maybe you're the one that ought to provide the solution. That's what she did. Now, she has an associate's degree, but with that, an RN. So she didn't have a lot of credentials behind her name, but she made wrote, wrote a book CCM certification made easy, your guide to passing the certified case manager exam. She wrote that, put it up on Amazon because no publisher was going to come along and want to do a book that was in that much of a niche. It sells for $69.97. Now, here's an interesting thing. That was released, the first edition of that, in 2020. So that's some time back. She updates it frequently as required by the exam. It's currently ranking. That book is ranking. I just looked as I, before I did the recording here. It's ranked at 12,768, which is really a high ranking in Amazon for such a niche book like that. And it's such a high price. It's like a textbook. So it's preparation for the exam. That book, having said all that, has netted her over a million dollars. Now she's gone on with offering those same nurses other kind of courses and material that they need she has a facebook group with over twenty-five thousand nurses in it she is traveling when i had her on the call she called in via zoom from france where she currently is traveling 
She has no home base. She just loves traveling. She's going next to Portugal. She looks for interesting places and just goes there because her business is so self-sustaining and it allows her to do that, to live anywhere she wants to. She can go and visit now her grown kids anytime she wants to. You know, I may have her on to share more details about how she created the work and life she loves. It's such a great example of having what other people would see as obstacles and yet just leaning into one particular niche and having that create the life and work she loves. All right, well, let me go on here. A couple other questions. Melanie says, just saying, thank you. I followed you for over 10 years. During that time, I figured out my passion. I've been a working mom for 30 years. I love sharing quick, easy recipes to help busy moms save time and money. I do cook-along classes with my sorority alumni group. I write articles for the local paper And I post everything on my blog, Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook. Anyway, just talking about the, the, the things that she does, you know, her little cooking tips. And she says, well, my corporate job ends in November, 46 days from today, but I'm okay. Dave Ramsey got me out of debt years ago, and I have a nice egg, nest egg, coupled with severance and a retention bonus that will carry me for four years while I work my plan. I'm taking my articles and formatting my cookbook, ebook, and print-on-demand to secure my expert status. I can't wait to create and teach full-time. Thank you again for all you do. Well, thanks for your note, Melanie. And what a great position to be in, to know that you're leaving the corporate job, but with a retention package and severance package on that, and having a nest egg, what a great position to be in. Now, what you're describing is a perfect setup, much like what I just described with that Deanna has done, case management, for you to move in, help with recipes, easy recipes to help busy moms save time and money. Whoa, is that ever a hot button? I mean, it reminds me of what Crystal Payne has done with her working moms. I forget what the name of her site is. Ah, I should know it. But anyway, she she helps moms save money at the grocery store because they redeem coupons that she recommends. And she gets pennies for the coupons that they recommend. But she has thousands and thousands of moms who do that. And it creates, you know, a million dollar business for her and more. Um, yeah. The, the leverage up when you're doing the kind of thing that you're doing. If you do a cook-along show, as an example, you do the show just the same if you have 30 people watching it or 300,000 moms watching it. So you can scale these kind of ideas so readily uh, without having to 10 times or 100 times your work and hours. Not at all. That's just not how it works when you move into this. What you're describing is a perfect setup for an online community. You know, we have ours through Mighty Networks. So it gives you a, a private space for your community members to be on there. And there are people who have who are herb lovers, as an example, or specialty breed dog owners. You could have, you know, pit bull owners who have their own online group or Corvette owners or tennis players or whatever, just those affinity groups and interest group. But with yours, if you had moms who want these great recipes and you do your cook-along classes with them and they're paying $10 a month and you put that out there and let's say you have 2,000 other cook-along fans at $10 a month. So it's not a big deal. You know, they want to see your recipes, your creative ideas. Uh, Shauna McGreevy has done this with cake decorating. But let's say you, again, have $10 a month, $2,000. That's a nice $20,000 a month. Or 
you know, almost quarter of a million dollars a year, I would venture a guess that's more than the corporate job you're leaving. I mean, maybe you could write a specialty book like Deanna did. And great idea. Thanks. Thanks for sharing your update there. And, and it's not going to take you four years. That's the thing. Don't deplete your nest egg. My goodness, if you're leaving in November, you know, by December, have your plan up and running that's replicating what your current salary is so that you save your nest egg for something else fun you may want to do. Well, hey, a couple couple other things here that have to do with, with changes. Netflix. Remember Netflix was sending out their DVDs? I mean, that was a big deal. You get your DVD, then you send it back in, and they send you another one. I mean, they did that. It's now been 25 years. But you know what? That's coming to an end. They're closing the distribution plant. Now, this is a big deal. You know, they, they used to process over a million DVDs a week, over a million DVDs a week. And, of course, it generated multiple, multiple millions in revenue. They're going to shut the doors officially on Friday. Now, look at what Netflix did. Instead of just hanging on to doing this is the way we do things, and now they're going out of business. No, I don't think so. They saw where the changes were and went with the changes. They're discontinuing the part of their business that no longer makes sense. Wow, is that a big piece we can learn from? Big piece. We can learn from that because a lot of people hang on to doing it the same way just because this is the way we've always done it. Gee, this is the way my grandma did it, so I'm going to continue to do it. No, change. And if you can keep in front of the changing curve, you can stay on top in business. Lego is not going to be making bricks from recycled plastic bottles after all. They announced they were going to do that. You know what? This is one of those things that kind of counterintuitive that makes you scratch your head. Everybody gets on the bandwagon and think, well, yeah, certainly you got to use recycled plastic. No, they said that using recycled plastic causes more pollution than using brand new traditional oil-based oil based bricks in their production. You know, it's like, um, you know, electric cars. I mean, yeah, gee, you got to quit burning gasoline. Well, you know what it takes in terms of resources to produce a lithium battery? And now we're hearing all these stories about these batteries exploding. And gee, we're hearing about a three-year-old car that needs a new battery and it's $17,000 to replace the battery. I mean, how does that make sense? We, we need to be open to a broader view of some of these things where everybody gets on the bandwagon. All right, enough, enough on that. All right, so Joe says, my dream goal is to have $700,000 in retirement funds before I reach the age of 71. I currently have about $20,000 in savings, and for several more weeks, I'm 65 years of age. So Joe, let's see, so you're turning 66, and so you have five years before you hit 71. All right, $700,000 in retirement funds. Okay, now, so, so, Joe, we need to go back. We need to kind of back into your money goal. Now, I know you've been listening to The Strangest Secret every day this month as you're out there driving your truck. Earl Nightingale on The Strangest Secret says that our success is measured by the quantity and quality of the service we are providing. Money is just the yardstick of that service. So the question is here, and the goal is not the $700,000, the goal is, what is it that you can provide that would benefit so many people in such a unique way that that $700,000 is going to show up? See, I didn't write a book to make a lot of money. I mean, statistics tell us 
writing a book is a very poor way to expect to make money. I wrote a book because so many people were asking for the information I was teaching in that little Sunday school class about how to turn your talent and passion into work that you truly loved. And I didn't have enough hours in the week to meet with all of them personally, so I wrote 48 Days to the Work You Love, which I'm updating again for the 2025 version, and it's sold somewhere upwards of a million copies. And yes, that produced an unexpected windfall of money for me. There's no secret about that at all. But the question is, what are you going to do in terms of providing service? Then that money shows up in ways that you can't even anticipate. How could you help $700,000 people who are going to reimburse you a dollar each? I mean, you know, just kind of back into it in that way. You know, how could you service case managers, nurses who want to be past the test in case management, there's nothing to help them repair. And so you write a little book for them that has now netted over a million dollars. You know, I've already covered multiple ideas here that have done exactly what you talk about. But if you, at this point, you have five years to accumulate $700,000, it's clear you aren't going to do that from just working a job. It's got to be something else. Now, I know you've been experimenting with ideas. I am the fortunate recipient of a beautiful, beautiful bench that you made for me a few years ago. It's a very center art piece on our lanai um, here at our house in Florida. It came with us from Tennessee down here. I'm grateful for that. I know you've been experimenting with things, have some ideas, keep those ideas going there, but there's got to be an idea that's a unique idea for you that will give you that kind of leverage, that kind of ups, upside. All right. Bill says, Dan, longtime listener, 25 year business owner. I'm looking to transition as now I'm in my mid fifties. I'm looking at investing in a franchise that already has two successful locations. A friend of mine, is putting this franchise together, planning on multiple expansions. I would be going from a property casualty insurance agency owner to owning a unique ice cream shop that has exclusive products with great reviews already. This would be a new location in a university town, just ready for a new adventure and change of scenery. I would be partnering with my daughter and son-in-law. The numbers in the current location look really good. I value your opinion, Bill. Um... I have a lot of thoughts on franchises. Now, there are some franchises out there that are pretty predictable because there's so much franchise support, so much brand awareness. So if it's a Wendy's or McDonald's or something, but now even with those, I mean, those don't tend to be really big money makers. having one of those. Typically, the franchisee, the owner, you know, invests a whole lot of money up front to open one of those and then works 70 hours a week, you know, to make $60,000, $70,000 a year. Now, those are averages. Certainly, there are exceptions to that. And there are other models out there like Chick-fil-A, which really isn't a franchise, but you become an owner-operator. And those guys, typically, because of the success of those stores, do make much more than that. Uh, but a new franchise, I mean, franchises are not set up really for entrepreneurs. They're fixed kind of in what the expectations are and usually pretty fixed in terms of what the potential is for that. Now with what you're talking about, you know, an ice cream shop, I mean, I love the idea and it's certainly appealing, but you know, is there a Kilwins nearby? 
that's really known for that? Is there a Ben and Jerry's? Is there a Baskin Robbins? And do your due diligence in the area where you think you would have a location so that you're really clear on what the market is already supporting there and what the competition is there. I pers- Personally, I would not be a candidate for it. I can only speak to, if you're asking what I would do, I would not be a candidate for a franchise like what you're describing. I, I looked at a business one time years ago, and it was to provide auto accessories for the new car dealers. There was a franchise that was courting me to have me purchase it. I decided there wasn't enough brand awareness. People were not aware of the name anyway, and there wasn't really that much unique that they were going to provide that I couldn't just learn on my own. And I can jump on YouTube and learn how to do it. And I decided to open my own business. I called it Auto Appeal. Um, the, the franchise was, uh, what was it? Trim something, trim something. But I decided to call my business auto appeal. I established my own brand awareness and very quickly built a name for myself since it was going to be locally focused anyway. It didn't really matter that I had a franchise. So, you know, look at all those options, but I would, I would encourage you here. Here's a way I would, I'll kind of leave this. I would encourage you to look at 19 other ideas as well. 19 other ideas, some being franchises, other franchises already established, more predictable, and also ideas that are not franchises that you might do. You're already a business owner, so you understand that. But if you're going from having your own business, your own insurance agency, to having a franchise, all of a sudden, you're going to have your hands tied in a lot of ways because the franchise will dictate what you can and can't do. All right, hey, just, just some random thoughts on that. Hopefully that's helpful for you on evaluating. And I commend you on looking at a new idea. All right, well, one more here. This this is kind of a, a turn in tempo here, but this comes from Andrew, who said, now I've got ongoing, I've got a train going with Andrew here. He says, how can I keep and use my creativity when AI is coming up? And I responded first, I said, AI will not replace human touch, meaningful relationships, spiritual wisdom. Those will continue to provide insulation against being replaced by technology in our work. Well, he wrote back, he says, Dan, I haven't been too big on relationships lately, especially since I haven't been on on good terms with so many other people. And others like friends and family have let me down. I can pretty much see that. When I wrote back, I said, ouch, if all you have to offer is technology, then you're, you're pretty much screwed. I said, AI will indeed take over. Grab the classic little book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. You can change that part of your life. And he wrote back once again, just a couple of days ago. He says, what if I feel done with trying to make friends and I only want to survive? That's a tough spot to be in, Andrew. If you're done with making friends and only want to survive, I mean, if you put yourself on a, a little island somewhere, nobody there, it doesn't matter if you have, golly, it doesn't matter if you have money, it's going to be meaningless unless there's somebody to exchange that with for something that you want. So that's meaningless. You know, you, you're going to have nobody to share your joys with, nobody to support you when times are hard. That's a pretty tough way to live. I, mean, I, don't, I can't really see that as being a meaningful life. Uh, Joanne and I, we have our event, our big event planned for next year here in Sarasota. And the theme is, and so they built a life they loved. And you hear me talk about that. That's actually a, a, a metal plate, plate that we got at Magnolia in Waco, Texas, from the work that Chip and Joanna Gaines are doing on 
sharing the work and life they love, which they've clearly created. But we're going to talk about that here. And, and to do that, it has to include family, friends, finances, faith, fitness, all those F words. Family, friends, finances, faith, and fitness. It can't just be surviving financially. There's really not much meaning to a life where you're only, even if you're thriving, even if you have a million dollars, there's not much meaning to that life if that's all that you have. You have to move into building success in those other areas. They're just as important as that closely, but thank you so much for that. Hey, stay committed to your belief. Without a shadow of a doubt, we can create or find. If you find the perfect setting, congratulations. But if you can't, that's okay. You have the opportunity to create, like many of the people I talked about today, create work and a life that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable. Thanks for listening.